electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, huge news from Merck, a pill for COVID. So good they had to end the clinical trial. Dr. Scott Gottlieb joins us. When do we get to where we just say, oh yeah, COVID, it's, uh, it's around, but I'm not worried about dying. I think we're getting there. Insta, Finsta, and Teenage Health. Facebook facing blowback from the U.S. Senate. It does look like they knew full well that most teen girls, a majority of teen girls who were using it, felt worse about themselves. Plus, the Aussie media meltdown, unpacking the untruths that built one media startup with the New York Times reporter who broke the story, Ben Smith. They really worked hard at this. This was not like a casual, impulsive deception. It's Friday. It is the 1st of October. That's spooky. That's Halloween. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. News just out from pharma giant Merck again, two straight days. Meg Terrell joins us now with more. Hi, Meg. Hi, Joe. This is the news we've been waiting for about an antiviral drug, an oral pill for COVID-19 from Merck. The phase three results are out. It looks like this works. Merck says that if you give this pill twice a day for five days to people who are at high risk of having severe outcomes from COVID, it reduced the risk of hospitalization or death in this study by 48% versus placebo. These results were so, quote, strikingly positive, Merck's head of research told me that they agreed with the FDA and their independent data monitoring committee to stop the study early and to seek emergency use authorization as soon as possible. Uh, Now, what they saw in this trial, they had enrolled about 775 patients as of the time when they had this interim look at the results. And they found uh, for people on placebo, about 14% of those folks were hospitalized or died at 29 days uh, after getting diagnosed with COVID versus 7.3% for people on this drug called molnupiravir. This is the drug that's partnered with Ridgeback Bio. So that's where you get that almost 50% reduction in risk here. Uh, Now, these were folks who have at least one risk factor for COVID. They've been diagnosed within five days. So they've had symptoms for fewer than five days. And you get this drug early um, in mild to moderate disease. So people who are not hospitalized. An interesting point here, guys, this was only tested in this trial in unvaccinated patients. Um, so they saw this um, pretty big reduction in the risks to those folks. Now, in terms of supply, the U.S. has already ordered 1.7 million courses of this drug, paid $1.2 billion for that if they get EUA. Merck says it can make up to 10 million courses this year and it'll make more next year. And it's already in agreements with other governments for supply and in discussions with more. So guys, will be very interesting to see how this gets through the FDA, how this starts to get used, what difference it can make in the pandemic. Really big morning, guys. Great. And wow. We had the CEO on yesterday. It is something where we think if we can give it early in the course of the disease, it can really take it from being the devastating disease that COVID-19 is to something that's, that's manageable. And, and that's so important. And because it's a pill, 
uh, it's something that obviously is, it can be quite accessible uh, to the general population. So we're excited about this because I do think it can really change the way think, people will think about COVID-19 if they're unfortunate enough to be facing it themselves. So the mechanism, Meg, they, it's been done before they try to, uh, to disrupt viral replication. And it, it's, it's similar, and it's it probably similar to some drugs we've used on, on other viruses. So they had a mechanism. They said, let's try it here, and it, seemed to, it seems to bear fruit. It's awesome that it's oral, and you don't need you know, to go in and have it uh, intravenously administered. So it's great. What, do you know the, how much, do you have any details just on the underlying mechanism of how it disrupts the, the viral replication? Joe, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I wrote, I, I wrote down notes here. It's a polymerase inhibitor. So it, it interferes with the virus's ability to replicate. But this is a really fascinating drug because it existed before COVID. And they saw that it has activity across a lot of different viruses. They tried it here. It appeared to work. But I think there was a lot of skepticism that a drug that wasn't developed for SARS-CoV-2 would work really well against this virus. Pfizer has developed one from scratch, and we're expecting data on that. I believe it's a protease inhibitor before the end of the year. So we'll see if that one works as well. But right now, these pretty positive results here from Might Merck. use both, too, someday. Nice little, nice little cocktail. It's, and it's a Friday. If this was a drug that was already out there, what was it used for before? And if there's suddenly a rush to find it for people with COVID, does that mean people who had been using it before for other uses aren't going to be able to find it? No, it hadn't been approved for anything else yet. So it wasn't like a repurposed, already approved drug. It was something that had been developed, hadn't made it through the finish line yet for anything, and then was sort of taken off the shelf and tested against this virus and worked. But it's not like the early days of hydroxychloroquine, where we did start to see shortages for people with lupus and things like that. That's great. Great news. Uh, and thanks for, for bringing that uh, to us. And maybe we'll have, the, have our friend, uh, the new CEO from Merck, back on as we get closer to maybe commercializing this. I'll ask. Joining us now, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, uh, conveniently is here for us, a former FDA commissioner, CNBC contributor. He also serves on the board of Pfizer and Illumina. His new book, Uncontrolled Spread, Why COVID-19 Crushed Us and How We Can Defeat the Pandemic, is out now and debuted uh, at, at number five on the New York Times a bestseller uh, list this week. And, um, Got a couple of things, doctor. So you, you, we just heard, I, I, I thought the same thing Becky did. It's like, uh, you know, wow, I had the placebo. Now I'm dead. Uh, I don't, I'm not signing up for that next trial, uh, I don't think. So that's a problem. And you have pointed out many times, we can't find, there's going to come a time where we got no one to test it on because there's going to be no unvaccinated people left. So some, somehow they found 700 people that hadn't been vaccinated to do the test on. But as we go forward, it's going to be hard to... Uh, it's going to be hard to do some of these tests. Well, look, this, this was a global trial. I'm not worried about the fact they stopped it early. They have a big data set. They can continue to collect a large safety data set by just administering this to people. This is a phenomenal result. I mean, this is a profound game changer to have an oral pill that had this kind of effect, this magnitude of effect in patients who are at high risk, who are already symptomatic. There's every expectation based on just how this drug works, that if you moved it earlier in the line of care, on patients maybe who are exposed and aren't symptomatic yet or patients who aren't as great risk, you're going to see even a greater result. So this is quite profound. And the other thing I just would point out is the um, team behind this drug. So Merkin licensed this drug. The team behind this drug, Wendy Holman uh, and her husband, Wayne Holman, 
with a team that also invented the first successful antibody against Ebola that was highly successful. I was at FDA at the time, so I became familiar with them. So this is a, a very good drug development, drug hunting team that was behind this therapeutic here. But this is a phenomenal result. And remember, we have two other drugs in advanced development, one by Pfizer, the company I'm on the board of, and one by Roche. We may have multiple therapeutics that could be taken at home to prevent COVID disease. What does the what side effect profile look like? It looked look, look good. And what's the most common, uh, common thing to worry about? Anything? Look, there were some things that came up preclinically in the animal models, but in the human trials, as best I know, the side effect profile looks pretty clean. I have not seen the underlying data set, but all the top-line reports are that this looks pretty clean. But also remember, this is going to be a short-term administration. You're not going to be taking this drug for six months or 12 months. You're going to be taking it for five days, perhaps even shorter if it's used in post-exposure prophylaxis. So typically, you know, if you're taking something over a very short-term administration, the safety profile is generally pretty good. Um, you, the, you know, you, the margin for, uh, for safety issues is much broader. Hey, Scott, fair or unfair to, to compare the efficacy of this to Regeneron? Obviously, you need to go to a hospital to, to, to get Regeneron, um, but it looks in that case that those rates are, you know, the efficacy is 70% plus. Uh, this is 50% plus. Is, is this an apples and oranges situation completely and we shouldn't even have that conversation? Well, you can always have the conversation. I think, I think clinically it's apples and oranges. We will have um, monoclonal antibodies that can be delivered in a doctor's office subcutaneously. So that's going to change the administration of those drugs and make, make it much simpler. But the bottom line is these are, used, these are targeting very different mechanisms. So you could even use them together. If you have a high-risk patient who comes into the hospital with COVID disease with a lot of symptoms and, and risk factors, you may use this drug and the monoclonal antibody and get, get an even more efficacious effect from the drugs in combination. So it's going to be a real therapeutic advance, give a lot of optionality to doctors. I'm sure they're going to be studied in combination if this drug is eventually authorized. And I, I believe it will be. Um, in, in high-risk patients. And so it, it's just another, you know, arrow in our quiver. And it's really, from a top-line result, it's a phenomenal result for an orally available drug that could be taken at home that appears to have a good safety profile. Scott, this is really exciting. The biggest downside I can see to this is that we've purchased 1.7 million doses of it. Um, everybody's going to want this. If you get sick, you're, you're going to think, this is what I would like to take. It's going to be hard to get, just like it's hard to get some of the other monoclonal antibodies and even Regeneron at this point, if there are shortages of these things. Um, all of the things you talked about sound amazing, but it's not going to be given to patients who have just been exposed because there's not going to be enough for the, the people who, who really need it, at least not for a while. Um, the, the other thing is this study was only done on unvaccinated people. Does that mean that the FDA will only approve it for use in unvaccinated individuals? And, and is that almost offering an additional incentive to people who haven't gotten vaccinated yet saying, I don't want to, if it means that I can't get this great pill? Yeah, I think depending on what the safety profile looks like, then the FDA's confidence around the safety of this product, you could see a broader authorization based on this data set. There's no reason that it would just be authorized in a narrow population in which it's studied, because you'd be willing to extrapolate that the efficacy of an antiviral in one setting will will be, um, you know, appear in other settings as well. I don't know how broad the agency would be willing to extrapolate from this data set, but they have been willing to extrapolate in similar circumstances. In terms of the supply, Merck has said that they'll have uh, they'll be able to produce 10 million doses this year, but they'll be able to ramp production 
uh, pretty aggressively. This is a small molecule drug that's produced through traditional manufacturing means. It's not an antibody where you need special facilities that are hard to find domestically. So I don't think that there'll be a shortage of this drug. I think now that Merck has this result in hand, they'll, they'll start partnering with other companies to produce a lot of the um, active pharmaceutical ingredient to make this drug. Doesn't need, li- doesn't need lipids either or anything. It's much easier to make. The, the, uh, I, I do think we've seen some of this before, Scott. This is a polymerase inhibitor. Other companies are working on a protease inhibitor. There's no reason to think that we couldn't have a, a cocktail eventually that, does, that has even more staggering um, efficacy than, than we're seeing with this. There's a piece in the journal today about how you, something you've said again and again and again, uh, that COVID's going to be not an epidemic or a pandemic, but endemic, uh, where we get to uh, enough people have seen it or have uh, natural or vaccinated immunity. And it's something that we just have to deal with. And all these therapeutics are eventually going to get us there, maybe even sooner. And then life really might return to completely normal. Yeah, look, that's right. You you might see these drugs eventually used in combination, and particularly in high-risk patients um, where the drugs can be synergistic. I think in lower-risk patients, probably given the result that we're seeing here, a lot of these drugs might be able to just be monotherapy, especially as a prophylaxis. But any, any drug that has this kind of result in this cohort, where you see that dramatic reduction in death in patients who had symptomatic disease but not severe disease, they had underlying risk factors, so they had advanced disease, um, you, you could surmise, and I think it's fair to postulate that it's going to have an even more profound effect in terms of preventing progression and preventing symptomatic disease if you move it earlier in the course of care. Yeah. What about the... the, the uh... When do we get to where we just say, oh, yeah, COVID, it's, uh, it's around, but I'm not worried about dying? I think we're getting there. You know, I've said on the back end of this Delta wave, prevalence will decline, more people will be vaccinated. Once, I think once we start vaccinating our children and once we have an antiviral in hand, I think society's psychology around this disease will change. And the other thing to just point out is we talked about the antibodies. You know, the antibodies have held up. Regeneron has done a phenomenal job. So has Vera Biotechnology in terms of uh, manufacturing antibodies that have not been um, outsmarted by the virus yet, but they can be because if the virus changes its surface proteins, you can outwit the, the monoclonal antibodies. This works by a completely different mechanism targeting the machinery by which this virus replicates. So there are scenarios where, you know, you could lose the antibody and have to reformulate it, but this oral drug will still work. So it's a nice thing to have. It's a, it's a, it's a nice therapeutic to have in our armamentarium. And we've long talked about having an orally available pill that could uh, inhibit viral replication. It looks like that day is arriving. Great. Thanks, Scott. Next on Squawk Pod, Facebook back in the virtual hot seat on Capitol Hill. What they knew and didn't about Instagram's impact on teenagers and what senators know and don't know about big tech. Insta is one of your products or services. We're not talking here about Google or Apple. It's Facebook, correct? Insta is slang for, for a type of account. I'm not sure I under, understand exactly what you're asking. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kernan along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Have you ever, Becky, have you, did you know about that? Rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. You're supposed no. to say it. The first words out of your mouth on the first of every new month. Kids do it. It's from a kid's book or something. And, and the rest of the month, you then will be out. lucky. It's a lucky month. It's a lucky month if you start out with rabbit, rabbit, rabbit or white rabbit, rabbit, rabbit. Really? Yes. Yes. Rabbit, yes. Rabbit, rabbit. Okay. But I didn't do it when I woke up. I didn't I do it this up. morning. No, I didn't either. I'm going to definitely do it November 1st. But the fourth quarter, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering whether it worked. Yesterday was a pretty rough day for Facebook on Capitol Hill. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle grilled the company's global head of safety over questions about Instagram's impact on the mental health of teens, as well as the company's efforts to try and build more products for children. I want to be clear that this research is not a bombshell. It's not causal research. It's, in fact, just Well, I beg to differ with you, Ms. Davis. Uh, this, this research is a bombshell. In fact, with this research, we found that more teen girls actually find Instagram helpful. Lawmakers also accuse Facebook of using similar tactics to the tobacco industry when it comes to targeting minors. A Facebook whistleblower is expected to testify before Congress next week as the investigation continues. And guys, I'll just ask you real quickly. Andrew, we were talking about this earlier this week. Is this a victory, a victory for now, the idea that they are pausing this product for younger kids? Um, I, I think you're probably right. I was thinking about it more afterwards. My, they're, they're still going to come back and do it. They're just trying to you know, make it look like they are talking to all of these groups right. first. Um, I don't know. It, it, I think they face tougher resistance than they may have realized, including just watching that grilling yesterday. Well, I don't know. Did you see the other part of it, which was yeah. astonishing, just how much our, I hate to say it, our, our elected leaders don't seem to understand what they're even talking about. Right. Yeah. Finsta, they, whatever, yeah. yeah. Where he's talking about Finsta, and he thinks it's actually like, a, yeah. like an actual product. Right. Will you commit to ending Finsta? Senator, uh, again, let me explain. We don't actually, we don't actually do, do Finsta. What Finsta refers to is young people setting up uh, accounts where they want, may want to have uh, more privacy. You refer to it as privacy from their parents. What, what, in my interaction with teens, what I've found is that they sometimes like to have a, an account where they can interact just with their with a smaller group of, of friends. Well, Finsta is one of your products or services. We're not talking here about Google or Apple. It's Facebook, correct? Finsta is slang for, for a type of account. Okay, it's will you not, end it's not that type of account? We, I, I'm not sure I under, understand exactly what you're asking. I mean, it just the whole thing. Look, I think there's lots of issues with Facebook and lots of issues with Instagram right. and lots of issues about the the mental effects that these things health mental health effects that they, they do create. I, mean, I think but, it's a legitimate uh, issue. But then the question, of course, is giving out what the, do you do about it? The complimentary carton of of Marlboros with <laughs> when you sign up for Instagram. Was pro- I just think that's taking it. Uh, 
And you see people were comparing it to try and get cigarettes, look, although, introdu- tobacco to introduced well, to kids when, when they're young, to get them said, hooked young. Well, look, TikTok is doing it and all the others. When you are relying on the everybody else is doing it already. Right. Right. They really weren't offering that. That was I, I, yeah. everything no, Benny, I say now I, would I say, need to You know, be. Benioff started, up, started with that comparison. With cigarettes. In, yeah. in Davos, because he said the first time he ever said it was on the stage. I was, I was moderating the panel, and I think people didn't understand Getting what he was young. saying and didn't understand why he was going. This was back in 2018, I want to say. How would you regulate a Facebook? Well, I think you'd do it exactly the same way that you regulated the cigarette industry. You know, here, here's a product, cigarettes, it, they're addictive, you know, they're not good for you. Maybe there's all kinds of different forces trying to get you to do certain things. There, there's a lot of parallels. Um, Is where, that how you feel, by the way, about social media? For the most part, yeah. No, meaning it, thinking about it as a, like a cigarette in that, in that kind of addictive way. I think that for sure technology has addictive qualities that we have to address. People thought maybe there was a personal beef that he had or what mm-hmm. was going on. But I would say he called it because um, I think there are issues. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's exactly cigarettes, but Marlboro Lights. The bigger, the bigger stuff, the journal has put out a lot of the pages of the internal research that they were given. You can go and find it today if you look right. online for some of these things. You can look at the internal research yourself and make your own decisions on some of these things. But it does look like they knew full well that most teen girls, a majority of teen girls who were using it, felt worse about themselves afterwards. That's what it looks like from this data. If Facebook says that's not the real data, then show us, you know, release it. And then you get back to do you want to actually totally restrict something or do you want to put the onus on parents to monitor well, and what's that's going just it. on like, and if, get back if, you, to, if parents could have a more sure way of monitoring it right maybe that's a better way to do it good but, luck yeah. becky we were talking earlier I, I thought andrew was all over this scott rudin guy because i see everywhere I, saw the, I thought the same thing sorkin I trashing no 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 i thought it was Why's bill rudin? i thought it, when i saw sorkin bill trashing rudin, rudin i thought that's andrew what I thought. and bill <laughs> What's going I thought, on with what? Bill? I clicked on it immediately. And I was like, oh, okay. who cares I'm about mad this? at this other Aaron Sorkin guy for taking yeah. the name Sorkin. You can I, never I, be I Madonna. I thought the same thing when you I saw that yesterday, and I clicked on it immediately. You can never because be Sorkin Madonna. Because Sorkin to me is Andrew, Rudin is Bill. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Thank you. Yeah. You don't care about Scott Rudin, and you're fine with Bill Rudin. That's the bottom line, right? There's nothing going on. No. I love Bill. Nothing going on. Cheese will be next. Coming up, Aussie Media's very bad, no good week, just three weeks after this moment. Carlos, I should probably let you take it away in terms of what the news is, but uh, in a way, Mark is about to become at least one of your bosses. I'm really pleased to announce that Mark Lazary has joined us as uh, the chairman of our board. I think for us, Aussie Media is a pretty unique company. I joined the board a number of years ago, and it's just literally revenue has kept on doubling. Billionaire investor Mark Lazary stepping down from Aussie Media as the company faces a scandal over misattributed commentary about itself and its ads and inflated viewer numbers. Everybody in media forever, by the way, well before digital, has put the best spin on their numbers. This stuff is sort of an order of magnitude away from that. New York Times columnist Ben Smith broke this story, and he's next on Squawk Pod. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, 
Positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. And here is the latest chapter in a story we first brought you Monday. Ozzy Media, the digital news startup founded by Carlos Watson, has had a rough week following reporting that the company's COO impersonated a YouTube executive on a fundraising call with Goldman Sachs. After that revelation, a lot of the media world started digging into Ozzy's advertising, its claims about audience size, and the reaction of certain high-profile financial backers. Among those backers was philanthropist Lorene Powell-Jobs, who was an early investor in Ozzy, but not a current member of the board. Hedge funder Mark Lazary, who joined Squawk Box with Watson in early September, had just been named chairman of the Ozzy board. As of yesterday, he's out. The media company. Lazary said in a statement, this one's quite remarkable, and I just saw it. Quote, I believe that going forward, Ozzy requires experience in areas like crisis management and investigations, where I do not have particular expertise. Joining us right now is the man who kicked off what has been the story of the week, maybe the month, possibly the year. Everybody's talking about Ben Smith is here, New York Times media columnist, author of the Media Equation column. Ben, what a wild week you've had, let alone Carlos Watson. Yeah, I don't think I anticipated that people would be this interested in this story. I mean, it is it. But it, because it touches everything, right? It touches banking with Goldman Sachs. It touches the whole idea of people being imposters, the imposter syndrome and and the idea of, of faking it till you make it. Where's the line? Clearly, the line seems to have, have gone uh, as, as gone. How, but I, let's start here. How do you think that this what seems like from the outside as a scam um, went on this long and brought so many big names and big money into its world? Well, first of all, I think, you know, I want to be careful. It was not a pure scam. There were lots of journalists and producers employed making real content for Ozzy, although not a lot of people were consuming that content. And so it it was a lot. I mean, they worked really hard, given the level of deception they were simultaneously doing. Um, the, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as is often true with these things, particularly fundraising, if you can kind of hold a mirror up and show people exactly what they want to see, which in this case was a company that had, you know, kind of progressive values and slick marketing, but also totally, totally non-threatening politics that were basically about, um, you know, we, what we really need in this country is not, is, is better conversations, right? Not anything else, not any, no anger, no, you know, none of the things that you see in the rest of media right now or in the rest of American politics. And I think that was very, very appealing in particular to people like Lorraine Jobs and Mark Lassery. Maybe just explain to the audience for those who haven't been following this, what exactly happened? Well, you know, the most sort of extreme and egregious thing that happened was they were, they, um, Goldman was considering investing and, 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 um, Ozzy puts them on the phone with someone who is supposed to be a YouTube executive and turns out it seems to have been an Ozzy executive faking the voice, um, you know, during a diligence call, during the, during fundraising. And, and, and then I think if you, you know, if you put on top of that, that they, I mean, at every, there was a show called the Carlos Watson show that lost in 20, launched in 2020. Basically at every stage of that, they were lying to people. They hired a production team saying it was just about to go on the air on A&E and then, those guys a month in call A and A and then realize that's just not true at all. In fact, Hoarders is opening is, is airing during that spot, and they all quit. 
hire a new team, put out that it's going to be on YouTube originals. That is also not true. It's the YouTube original guys, by, by, by the way, who they're impersonating on the phone. And then more broadly, their web numbers, their email numbers, just massively, massively inflated. And everybody in media forever, by the way, well before digital, has put the best spin on their numbers. But this was this stuff is sort of an order of magnitude away from that. You think this becomes a criminal case? I know I know you've you've reported that the FBI is looking at it, but it appears that they raised money after this event from somebody. And that ostensibly could mean that they defrauded whoever those investors were. Well, there are two things. I mean, Matt Levine at Bloomberg wrote that this is that, that, that you know, faking an investor call is just is is sort of tax is securities fraud in a more literal way than the term securities fraud usually gets thrown around. That's a SEC a civil proceeding, I think, and it often and an SEC decision. And because that deal didn't go through, sometimes prosecutors say, you know what, ultimately no harm, no foul. Um, I do think, yes, they they raised money after this. And I think, you know, the board has hired Paul Weiss to do an investigation, but I think the board also is probably concerned that they fit. I mean, that, you know, they knew about this um, alleged securities fraud and didn't consider it material in telling, didn't consider it something they might want to mention to people who they were asking for millions of dollars from. And I do think that could be a real issue. Do you think, and I, I, you know, hopefully we'll have an opportunity at some point down the line to talk to a Mark Lazary about this, but do you think that he was lied to? Um, or do you think he knew? Um, I have no indication that he knew. And he jumped ship with such, you know, incredible alacrity that um, it, it doesn't doesn't seem like he feels like he's complicit. Right. It just seemed. But it's also pretty puzzling, honestly, kind of what, what he was doing there. You know, they have this big press release and this glowing Axios press release about, you know, how he's become chairman of this great company. And if you had spent any time talking to people in the media business or kind of poking around the company, you would realize that all these views were fake or not fake, but all these views had been purchased and there wasn't a organic audience. And I don't know. I mean, Mark Lassery has so many things going on and has had such a great year. It's sort of perplexing as to why he decided to do this. Ben, I just want to thank you for appearing on what has been called the greatest morning show in the history of TV, Andrew Ross Sorkin, New York Times. Uh, Right. The, the New, New York Times squawk box is. Well, now you can take that quote. Take that quote. It, it's the second most famous Sorkin. That's great. <laughs> he was watching earlier. That's right. The second most famous Sorkin. <laughs> but Ben, that's the other part of this. That's such a crazy part of the story. These quotes that are used. I love ads. that. I, I mean, if so you can. Incredible. I mean, if you can. It's so funny. you got to admit some of the stuff is, is where they paid for it, and then they use it. Yeah, so all the, I want to know, Ben, do you think, and just so the audience can, t- can keep up with what's happening here, basically they were buying, in certain cases, like paid posts on the Los Angeles Times website <laughs> and then running full-page ads later in other places citing the L.A. Times as if the quote about Carlos Watson was written by the L.A. Times. Can you say something in deal book? I'm not kidding. And then we can say New York Times? No, no. Why? The ben, greatest ben, morning. Why do you think that actually I'm one of the things I was curious about that. Why do you think that the media companies didn't realize this was happening? Um, you know, I would go I would see these ads on the sides of buses. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they 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 sort of flew below the radar because nobody they have no they didn't really have much of an audience. It wasn't like any of us were saying, gosh, we're hearing footsteps from Ozzy. We better check out what they're really doing. It just seemed like this kind of curiosity. Um, 
Yeah, and they worked incredibly hard to generate these sort of questionable quotes. I mean, they really worked hard at this. This was not like a casual, impulsive deception. This was a lot of work. Okay, Ben, we got to go. What's the next shoe to drop on this, you think? Stay tuned. Column Sunday. There's more coming. Okay. Ben Smith, keep going. It's good. It's good. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Now, there's a man who knows how to tease. Sunday column. That's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Happy October, everybody. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Tweet us. Our handle on Twitter is at Squawk CNBC. And we'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.